0: And our society has put us off in our homes as couples. And, and so we're not mothers in communities anymore. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We're mothers in families, not even in neighborhoods, really. We're alone.
1: Yeah. And,
0: if, and if we don't have a mother-in-law that can help us or friends that have been through it or a husband that's supportive, we feel acutely this inability to do what we think we're supposed to be doing. So society has given us this notion of being the perfect mom and know how to do everything. And uh, it's fine. You'll figure everything out about your baby. That's not reality. Reality is it takes months to figure out how to be a good mom, how to ask for help when you need it. That's probably the number one that depressed moms cannot do is ask for help when they need it.
1: This is Unconditioning, Discovering the Voice Within, with Whitney Ann Jenkins. Hello and welcome to the 55th episode of Unconditioning, Discovering the Voice Within, where I bring on guests and we talk about the inner authentic voice and the challenges and the rewards that come from following it. This week I have with me Susan Landers. Susan is a retired neonatologist. She's an author and a speaker. She practiced full-time in the NICU for over 30 years and she wrote a book about her experience called So Many Babies: My Life Balancing a Busy Medical Career and Motherhood. She's an expert in physician burnout having suffered through it herself, and she's published articles on the subject as well. I had a very enlightening time speaking with Susan about the challenges of being a mother in our current society and all of the demands, including the rise of an increase of postpartum depression in new mothers. Dr. Susan Landers brings a whole lot of wisdom from her personal life as a mother, as well as working as a doctor that directly works with new mothers. So, here is my conversation with Dr. Susan Landers.
0: So, um, are you single, married, with children, without children?
1: I am without children.
0: Oh, Um, you're just getting started. Okay.
1: um, I am an aunt, however you say it. Good, Um, good, good. It's a little introduction into that world for me, but I've also been a nanny many, many times. So
0: good. I don't know anything about performing, but my son is a cinematographer. Okay. He, he hangs out with your type, you (laughs) know, the creative (laughs) set. Um, I've always hung out with, um, other doctors and nurses and scientists, and I've been sort of wearing blinders my whole life (laughs) I didn't even learn that I had much creativity until I retired actually that's not true I got burned out at the very end of my career and I started uh, playing the piano and I started Mm -hmm. doing some needlework and it kind of got the creative juices flowing Mm so a little bit
1: yeah it's interesting how we uh, think of the word creativity um, and how it's associated with genius and people of like extreme artistic ability when really like every moment of our lives is sort of our own creation. So it just True. depends on how you use that in your perspective.
0: I think of creativity as right brain activity, mm-hmm. whether you're dreaming or imagining or writing or um, drawing or making music. I think creativity is sort of this outlet To me, it's an outlet to not be in your logical, overworked, hyper responsible left brain.
1: Yeah.
0: And so throughout my career in medicine, I spent so much time in my left brain, making things work and making diagnoses and and prescribing therapy and using medications that I think along the way I might have forgotten to use creativity yeah. mm-hmm. and so in my older years i've rediscovered how helpful creativity is mm-hmm. how wonderful
1: right. it is yeah yeah, yeah. A, a, a rebirth in a way
0: in a way yes yeah yeah, yeah. exactly S- speaking of babies
1: yeah <laughs> <laughs> so our conversation is just going to be really organic so it's really talking about you and your story and your journey and how you've gotten to where you are from where you began you've had to go through a lot of things in order to get where you are right right but you mentioned that you didn't feel like like women really got to their authentic voice until they're in their 40s and i thought that was really interesting
0: Yeah, I still believe that. And I'm happy to talk about that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, And maybe it's just people in medicine have to defer everything for so long. But in my life, it seemed like I didn't really get it until Mm -hmm. I was in my early 40s.
1: So when was the first moment that you realized that you did have this inner authentic voice of your own?
0: Oh, that is a very easy question to answer. I, when I finished medical school, I went to medical school in South Carolina. I grew up in South Carolina, but I never really felt comfortable in the deep South. And so after I graduated from medical school, I was accepted in a residency in Dallas, Texas, which was the real plum of a residency Mm -hmm. at Parkland and Dallas Children's. And I remember leaving Charleston and driving with my U-Haul trailer To Dallas, and I thought that that was a turning point in my life, Mm -hmm. that I had the training that I needed to be a new person, to be a physician, to be on my own. And my parents had said, if that's what you want to do, fine, go do it. It's not like parents today who hover and help Mm -hmm. their children do every little thing. And so I really felt on my own. In retrospect, I didn't have enough training. Four years of medical school is just a drop in the bucket. So there were three years of residency in Dallas, three years of fellowship in Houston, where I became a neonatologist. And that's when I felt an inner voice as a physician. I loved working in the NICU and the critical care, uh, intensive care nursery. I loved working with mothers and babies. And I felt like I was a good doctor. I'd had good training. I had some challenging experiences. That's Back in the 80s, that was a difficult place to work because we didn't have good ventilators.
1: Mm. And
0: we didn't have artificial surfactant until late in the 80s. And so a lot of the babies had complications or didn't survive. It's different now. But I was... Entering a career that I thought allowed me to practice and attend to people, really be present with the moms, with the dads.
1: Yeah.
0: Not just take care of a baby in the intensive care nursery, but getting to know them over three, four, six months, be part of a family.
1: Yeah.
0: And that inner voice, that kind of mother-doctor presence, I think I had as early as, that would have been age 34, yeah, 33 or 34, where I really felt like I knew what I was doing. I liked my field, and um, I was making a difference. I was helping children. I was helping parents. And in neonatology, there's this um, tradition. NICUs always invite back the surviving babies to come to a neonatal reunion in the spring so that any children that have left the nursery um, and gone home to grow and thrive are invited back. And so neonatal reunions were always just the best thing because the moms would come back with their twins or triplets or beautiful baby. And we'd all just be so joyful. And the parents were so grateful. And it just warmed my heart in a way that uh, never left. It never left. And that's the best thing about my professional career. Interestingly, um, I got married when I was 34 later.
1: okay,
0: And uh, met my husband at Texas Children's Hospital in Houston. And we had three children within seven years. I was older, and I wanted to kind of, you know, get on with having a family. Yeah. And, and I was really lucky that that um, the first two kids were pretty easy, and it took a while to have the third one. I was almost forty by the time I had my third child. But that's when I learned, Whitney, that I didn't know what I was doing, and as a mom. My inner voice was sort of stuttering and faltering and uh, bumbling and making mistakes. And and here was a pediatrician, Mm -hmm. subspecialty trained pediatrician and having children who presented all these things to me to deal with, whether it was Mm -hmm. breastfeeding or a fever or biting at school or a gifted child, or tantrums, or bedwetting, or whatever normal little things they do, I discovered that, I I think I discovered that I was enough of a perfectionist as a doctor, and I must have carried some of that over into my being a mom, because I wanted to be a perfect mother.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: And the first seven to eight years, when I had my three children, I learned that I was not a perfect mother so there wasn't an inner voice as a mom I didn't feel that like I felt it as a doctor
1: right
0: and almost it was almost a paradox Um, the, the doctor thing came easier but you know I had four and six I had 10 years of training four years of medical school six years of training and so okay, 10 years of training to be a neonatologist and then seven or eight years to know how to be a mom. And so well, I'm still kind of overly trained as a doctor and less trained as a mom. It took me, I think, in retrospect, about 10 years to feel really good about being a working mom. You have friends who are working moms, I'm sure.
1: Oh yeah. And
0: they're always complaining that they're, they're either uh, worried about their kids or worried about their work or trying to do one thing while present in another. And it's just this huge paradox.
1: Right, yeah.
0: And um, so I was 40, we moved to a new city. My husband accepted a, a great job. So I was feeling really good about being a neonatologist. I was feeling better about being a working mother. We moved to a new city and I didn't like my job. And I turned 40, and we had a new house, and the kids had a new school, and I had a new nanny. We were fortunate enough to be able to afford a nanny. And I fell apart. Mm -hmm. Major depression. And I'm not ashamed to say that, because it turned out to be a real um, growth opportunity for me. Um, I worked through it. I don't know how I kept working. Um, but, and I saw a psychiatrist and I was on therapy. And and I like to speak out about treatment for depression, especially postpartum depression in women, because it's so effective. The treatment is so effective. And um, I my psychiatrist asked me to explain to him what my life was like. What was my inner voice? What what did I want out of my life? You know, mm-hmm. the, the same kind of notion that you're trying to get at with your podcast. And I said, you know, I'm like the guy on the Ed Sullivan show that spins plates. He's on the stage and he twirls the sticks and he's got a plate twirling on top of the stick. And then he starts another one and he starts another one. And he's running around the stage, spinning plates. And that's me, and all the plates are my children and my job and my husband and my research project and this paper and that paper. And I just feel frantic. And he said, he laughed, he literally laughed. I don't know if psychiatrists are supposed to laugh at you, but this one (laughs) did. And he said, why don't you take down some of the plates? And so with his help, I started identifying what was important to me yeah. and what was not and and made choices. I wasn't going to give up any time with my kids because I was always work already working a lot. I wanted to maintain my marriage. I wanted to have some friends. And I chose less work and more personal things. And I slowly got well. And I loved my friendship during that time. And my marriage became stronger. And I think I was a pretty good working mother. Um, I, I, that time in my 40s is when I was able to look at myself and say, I am a pretty good mother. I know I'm a really good doctor. Uh, our marriage is going okay with some work. And I was actually brave enough to try something different. I went to work for an HMO. I worked as a medical director for an HMO for a few years. And I didn't like that because it wasn't really medicine. Mm-hmm. It, it was the wrong side of the fence. Yeah. And so um, we decided to uh, follow job opportunities in Austin, Texas. And my husband and I both went into private practice. And that's where I have lived and practiced for the last 25 years. And we kept on raising our three kids and they all turned out pretty well. The girls both have anxiety, but they, they all turned out really well. So the point of telling you that story is that it took me some time in my 30s to get my feet under me as a working mom. And then in my 40s, it took this major blow and maybe it was a culmination of moving and work and small children but it took a major blow for me to stop and figure out who I was and what I wanted and that's what I mean by finding my inner voice in my 40s because I was ready then to do the work yeah to really say what is important to me I didn't want to stop practicing medicine. In retrospect, maybe I should have practiced part-time, but I didn't go that way. And I kept practicing full-time and I did less research and less academics and wrote less papers and did less of other things. And I was happy. So I think my inner voice was discovering not discovering, but acknowledging who I was, what my strengths were, what my weaknesses were. I was never never very good at research anyway, and I didn't have a very (laughs) stellar academic career. So I decided really to kind of let that part of it go and do the things that I felt like I was really good at.
1: Yeah. Thank you for sharing that story because I feel like A lot of people like to pretend that they've had it all together all this time. Forever, Uh, yeah. yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but also, like, since you've been a doctor, especially in the realm that you are in, and the way that our society has kind of shifted, women are, I think, starting their lives later and later as far as having children. Right. Um, and right. so that they can pursue that career also. Right. So, what have you seen within what you're doing that you feel is a reflection of what you went through as well?
0: I think women are moving, ha- women in medicine are moving having babies back into med school and residency. I didn't. I waited, I delayed. Um, So they're they're kind of pushing that envelope back a little because they don't want to be 40 when they have a baby because it's really hard to be 40 and have them be pregnant. It's very tiring. And professional women, career women, working mothers figure out that the longer they wait to have children, the harder it is to have children. Infertility goes up the older you get. And so, yes, our society has provided beautiful opportunities for women, but I think a lot of women are like I was, they really want it all. They want to be a career person, have a full-time job and be a mom. And that's okay for us to want that.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: It's just the most difficult thing on the planet to do. We are wired in a way, women are wired to be mothers, to be caregivers, to care about others' feelings. And even though I have a great husband and he's always been a big helper, nowadays for every one hour that women work in the home with childcare or household chores, so for every five hours that women work, men work one. And so there is still this huge discrepancy between how men approach their career and having a family and how women approach it. So we've been given permission to pursue professions. Women are in law school, medical school, nursing, uh, teachers still, well, they're leaving teaching, but still women can do anything they want they can be mm-hmm. scientists, they can be astronauts, but they figure out that when they start having children, no matter when it is, the weight, the burden of that responsibility is wholly different from men. Yeah. We don't even see it, feel it the same way. I, I'll tell you another anecdote that, that opened my eyes to this. I what David, my first one was, maybe three, and he had had a fever. I think I was pregnant with my second one. And I, I woke up early and called the pediatrician and got an appointment. And I needed to go into the hospital to make rounds. My husband came downstairs. He had on his white coat and was walking to the door. And I said, where are you going? And he said, I'm going to work. And I said, well, what about me? David's sick. I got to take him to the pediatrician. I, you know, I've got to get somebody to cover for me. He said, well, you'll handle it. You always do. And he walked out the door. This is a true story. And I bet a lot of your listeners are going, my husband's done that to me before. Because they they don't see it the way we do. They don't feel it. They don't worry about the kid at school like we do. They don't worry about the child that has Special needs the way we do. And so, what women have done then is put themselves in a position to be workers Mm -hmm. and professionals, but they also carry this huge burden of being mothers and matriarchs and the head of the family. So, in that sense, what our culture has done for women has made it harder. Does that make sense?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, Definitely. And as far as like postpartum goes, have you seen that increase along with all of these extra responsibilities when trying to juggle and spin all of the plates at the same time as you described?
0: Yes. Postpartum depression has increased. It now affects one in eight women. That's astonishing one in eight women will sometime within the first year after birth have a major depression where they are either anxious or depressed, they feel like they can't do it, they feel alone and isolated, they don't feel competent taking care of their baby, of course they can't sleep, they can't eat, the usual things they don't take care of themselves, the things we all know to look for as signs of depression but then they're new moms and they're going, I don't know how to be a mom. And our society has put us off in our homes as couples. And, and so we're not mothers in communities anymore. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We're mothers in, in families, not even in neighborhoods, really. We're alone.
1: Yeah. And,
0: if, and if we don't have a mother-in-law that can help us or friends that have been through it or a husband that's supportive, we feel acutely this inability to do what we think we're supposed to be doing. So society has given us this notion of being the perfect mom and know how to do everything. And uh, it's fine. You'll figure everything out about your baby. That's not reality. Reality is it takes months to figure out how to be a good mom. Breastfeeding is not easy. It's a learned skill how to ask for help when you need it. That's probably the number one thing that depressed moms cannot do is ask for help when they need it. And so we are seeing the incidence of postpartum depression going up. And I think that's because our society and our culture structure expects more from postpartum women than they can give. When you look at what other cultures do, whether it's China or India or Mexico, the moms swoop in and they take care of the mom and the baby, and the mom doesn't do any work and she doesn't do house cleaning and she doesn't fix meals. All she does is nurse the baby and and that, that's not what we do in our culture in America. Right. We say, okay, mom, here's your baby. Have at it. I hope you have a good supportive husband or a, a partner or hope your mom will come help you for a couple of weeks. That's just ridiculous. And it's so different from other cultures and how they take care of women after birth.
1: Yeah. So how do you counsel new mothers now, like with all of this wisdom that you've gained as a mother and and then um, being surrounded by mothers. Yeah, how are you delivering this information?
0: Well, when I was practicing, I would deliver this information by talking about experiences. A NICU mom would sit in a chair by her baby's bedside for hours or hold her baby kangaroo care skin to skin for an hour or, or more. And I would have a chance after the work was done to sit down and chat. Did she have other kids at home? How was she relating to the process of having a sick baby? How are she and her husband doing? Those sorts of things. So personally being present and talking about mothering experiences is the way that I dealt with it when I was practicing. And another interesting thing to tell you is that so many mothers would say to me, Oh, you're a pediatrician. Your children are just perfect. I'm sure you don't have to deal with this problem. And I would go, you got to be crazy. My kids are just like everybody else's. When my daughter, my youngest daughter, was a rebellious teenager. The moms would, and you know, and she skipped school or she'd have a car wreck or whatever she did. Mm -hmm. The mothers would just go, I can't believe you have a problem teenager. I'm going, you know, I mean, a lot of us do. That's just the way it is. And I don't know how to deal with her any more than the next person. And, and so telling stories and being present and connecting with other women about our children, about being a mom was the way I did it then. What I'm doing now, I've written a book. I wrote a book called So Many Babies, My Life Balancing a Medical Career and Motherhood. And I wrote that book to tell other mothers that they can do this, that we all struggle. We all have challenges and we all get through it. And I relate some of my big failures. I relate some of my successes in the book, but the purpose for writing it was to convey to other women that this is kind of a universal experience, trying to balance being a mom, being a spouse, and working. And so I hope my book does that. And I'm on social media, I have a blog, I have a Mm -hmm. newsletter. And so I'm trying to reach women that way. Um, I plan on developing an online course for working moms. Mm -hmm. I feel like I've got a lot to offer. I mean, I've, I've made all the mistakes you can make and had some successes and I'm just having the best time watching my older daughter who's 35 raise her two kids it's so fun what to what to do when the child bites what to do when the child is bitten how to get rid of the pacifier oh my god (laughs) why why did my daughter have to have so many problems with breastfeeding Uh, it's just you know it's just Normal stuff, normal, normal life stuff. And so I want to take all my experience and I want to put it in a format that other women can use in little bite sized bits at their own time, at their own pace. And that's my plan for the next couple of months. I've already got, I've already got some curriculum uh, laid out and uh, an assistant to help me with that. I've given several webinars and um, because I want to hear from women who have questions, women who want to talk to somebody like me who's sort of been through it. Yeah. I, you know, I don't want to just say this is what you're going to experience. I want to know what people are really interested in.
1: Yeah, it looks and sounds like uh, you are looking at mothers in a holistic point of view and uh, encompassing everything that they're experiencing, Mm -hmm. um, which is something that I feel like traditional medicine doesn't really look at.
0: No, it doesn't. It doesn't. Even pediatricians, general pediatricians who are really very good at recognizing that the child has to be. Looked at in terms of the family, specifically the mom, but broader, the whole family. And pediatricians know that everything about mother influences the child. I think that everything about mother influences the whole family. And um, it's just as important to talk with women about how they're doing as it is to examine a child in an office, or to examine a a woman in her office. I think the psychological aspects of being working mothers are greater than people acknowledge. The psychological challenges, and whether it's like I was early on, are we all just going to work using our left brain, and not dealing with our right brain creativity, not journaling, not meditating, not exercising, not all the things that when we get busy, we're busy, you know, I'm so busy, I've got children, I've got work, we don't do that for ourselves. So I, it is holistic to think that working mothers are crucial for their family, whether they're single mothers or not, and need to know how to take care of themselves.
1: Yeah, um, for anyone who might be listening, who might be a mother and might be struggling um, with postpartum or another like aspect of motherhood that they don't know how to quite handle by themselves. Mm -hmm. Do you have any advice on how to ask for help?
0: Yes, I do. Or where they could go? Well, the yes, you can get help online. There are some call-in psychotherapy places now. You can get checklists online. Uh, I've created a checklist for stressed out and burnout working mothers on my own website, just to bring attention to this whole notion. They can talk to their spouse or their partner. They can talk to their pediatrician. But sometimes the very best thing to do is to talk to a friend, someone who's going through what you're going through. When I was having my children in Houston and we were, we were all brand new doctors having kids and working at the hospital I would not have survived if I didn't have friends who were right there with me, having babies, going through the same issues, and we would talk at lunch or we would talk in and out of the parking lot. How's it going with so-and-so? And it, it, it was a connection that was so palpable. So I guess what I'm saying is there are people in your workplace there are people in your neighborhood or in your friendship circles that you can specifically say to, I'm really struggling. Can I talk to you about this? I need, I I really need to bounce this off of you. And I'm here to tell you and your listeners that there is nothing wrong with asking for help. Our society wants us to be independent and productive. And I think part of being independent is saying, I need some help, but maybe it's just because I'm older and and I'm capable of admitting that. So my answer to your question is, they have to ask for help. and And where they get that help will be different for each woman. Is it a mentor at work? Is it a friend, coworker? Is it their partner? Is it their husband? Is it their best friend that they go on walks with in the morning? Is it their mother? Mm-hmm. It'll be different for everybody, but asking for support is just a crucial part of human nature that we need to get back to.
1: Yeah, I, I feel like um in different previous times, like as you said, community was kind of more prevalent um within like raising children and having that support system of being able to share wisdom back and forth um between um the elders right. and the youngers. And I feel like that's something that's kind of missing. Um, within our society then there's almost a competitive edge that's been like thrown in there rather than like wanting to share information
0: yes competitive edge you are so right now that I'm on Instagram and Facebook I am seeing this pretense of the perfect mother the perfect uh, working mom the mom who has it all together the mom whose children are uh, never act up and uh the mom whose marriage is wonderful and whose husband helps out and he does half the cooking and half the housework that's just not the way it is that uh, when we ask women what's going on all the surveys say that we do way more five times more than our partners and our husbands do and single moms do it all right and so um we are in a position where we set ourselves up for failure because of those false expectations on social media. Mm -hmm. And I'm here to say that a lot of what I'm seeing on social media about the right way to be a parent and the right way to do something, they're they're not exactly true.
1: (laughs) Imagine that. (laughs)
0: Imagine that. Yeah, I'm making a face. Your listeners can't see I'm making a face. It's uh, Social media has done a lot of damage. For example, here's my worst example of social media. Teenage girls who want to find out about weight loss and diet and exercise, who put those hashtags in social media, will be deluged with sites that tell them how to fast, how to diet, how to lose weight, how to hyper exercise. And they'll see pictures of other girls who have eating disorders. Yeah. And I think that's a travesty. I had a daughter with an eating disorder when she was 16, my older daughter, when she was a junior in high school, before Instagram, before Facebook, before cell phones, And it was hard enough for me to identify what was going on with her. And and it was difficult to get her to get therapy and to get the support and get the whole family treated. And and we did. And it was successful treatment. And my daughter's fine now. And because we caught it early, because we took care of it, she recovered very well. But the notion of adolescent girls being fed information about eating disorders and weight loss on social media is, to me, appalling. And it is one example media is for our society. If we can't even protect our preteen and teen girls from images and messages that are harmful, mm-hmm. imagine how brand new mothers feel when they see the image of the other mother perfectly breastfeeding and makeup on and postpartum, and that's just not reality. And so I think social media is giving us sometimes bad information, not just misinformation, but bad information.
1: Yeah, of trying to strive for a certain expectation that is impossible to achieve.
0: Exactly. You said it very well. <clears throat> and that's where the inner voice comes in. Your whole notion of finding your inner voice. If a mother who is struggling after she has a baby knows she's struggling and she can't sleep and she feels funny and she's questioning her skills and what she sees on social media is everybody else is doing it perfectly and they look like they're rested and they're breastfeeding fine and what's wrong with her? Her inner voice is telling her something's wrong, and there is something wrong. She's struggling. She needs help. Her inner voice needs to tell her, I'm a good mother, and I love my baby, and I want to take care of her, and I don't know what's going on. I'm confused. I'm anxious. I'm sad. I need to get some help. And even if she, if she talks to her OB, if she talks to her pediatrician, if she talks to her midwife if she talks to the PA or nurse practitioner she will get pointed in the right direction but if she says nothing and keeps beating on herself even though she knows she's trying as hard as she can she won't get better so we have to give postpartum women the permission to ask for help when they need it yeah. and we have to give their their husbands and partners the permission to say, honey, if things aren't going very well. Can we can we go see the pediatrician together? Can we go see your OB? What do you think about having the lactation consultant come to the house or the, the doula come by again? Um, there's so many people out there that can help women who need support. Maybe not a PhD psychologist. But there's some therapists, there's some family therapists, there's some people even online. There is a 988 phone number for people to call now. So yeah.
1: and, and there's also um, the, the fact that everyone on the planet comes from a mother, so there's so much wisdom to go around if we were just exactly
0: your own yeah. mother. <laughs> <laughs> right.
1: Your own mother. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
0: That that is so true. And My daughter would say to me, what do you think, mom? But I didn't say a word until she said, what do you think, mom? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but they're our own parents, our own in-laws. So I just want women who are struggling to feel permission to get the help they need. Because I think what working mothers are doing and what mothers postpartum are doing is difficult in our current culture and if their inner voice is telling them this doesn't feel right I should feel better about all of this listen to your inner voice yeah. listen to the little woman in your head who's saying
1: oh man I need to get some help what am I doing
0: because it's okay to say that
1: yeah. well thank you for saying that and thank you for doing the work that you're doing and, and bringing this to people's attention. Well, you, so, keep,
0: you keep doing what you're doing too. Oh, I know okay. that everybody loves listening to podcasts. So,
1: <laughs> if people would like to find your book and more about you, where can we guide them to?
0: My website is SusanlandersMD.com, and there you can get resources for parents. You can Uh, get a link to buy my book you can see my blog you can contact me Um, I do some phone consultations I can't see people in person Uh, but I love to talk to moms who are struggling and I love to help them get the help that they need and hopefully I'll be getting my online course together soon so that will be available too.
1: Great. I'll put all of those links into the show notes so that people can click on them really easily. And uh, uh, the checklist for stressed out and burnout
0: moms is susanlandersmd.com forward slash burnout in cap. And that will take them to a free checklist. It's very quick and easy, 21 items. So.
1: Okay, excellent. So I have one last question that I like to ask before we wrap up. And so that question is, if your inner voice had a billboard, what would it say to the world?
0: It would say two things. Breastfeeding is best. (laughs) (laughs) And working mothers are trying all the time to do the best that they can do. And we need to give them a break. Mm.
1: Those are important messages. (laughs) Thank you so much for joining me this week. If you're listening and you like what you hear, please consider subscribing and rating this podcast as it really helps get this podcast out to other people who might be interested in hearing it but don't know about it yet. And also, if you'd like to contact me or reach me, you can reach me at unconditioningpodcast at gmail.com or Unconditioning Podcast on Instagram. Thank you so much. And until next time, stay tuned in to you.